0: Hey, faithful listener. Grab your cup of coffee and experience the Bible in a way you never have before. P40 Ministries is a podcast that goes through the Bible cover to cover. It's an awesome narrative that focuses your mind and prepares your heart for God to speak. So join your host, Jen, for a biblical podcast that's hilarious, informative, imaginative, and fun. The P40 Ministries podcast. Listen now as we go through the book of Leviticus. Hey, good morning, friends and faithful listeners. This is Jen here with the P40 Ministries podcast, the podcast that brings you, um, you know, just the Bible every single morning. And, you know, I have a great guest on the podcast today, and I'm a personal fan. He does a great commentary online that I have resourced in the past to, uh, you know, for this podcast, and his name is Pastor David Guzik. And he is here with me today to discuss a little bit of Leviticus and everything that's going on here. But before we do that, I would love for you, Pastor David, to introduce yourself to the audience and just let people know what you do.
1: Well, thank you, Jen. Look, I've been a pastor for many decades, but uh, four or five years ago, I stepped out of the direct kind of pastoral ministry. And really now I give my focus to sort of an unusual work that God surprisingly gave me many decades ago. Uh, And I have an online written commentary on the Bible, throughout the whole Bible, And uh, some people find it helpful. So my work is focused now on the continual development, improvement, distribution. And a big part of our work is the translation of that Bible commentary into a lot of different languages. So some people know me through the Bible commentary. Yeah,
0: yeah. And it's called the Enduring Word Bible commentary. That's correct. Yeah. And like I said, I've resourced it in the past. It's it's a great commentary and I really like it. And, uh, you know, Pastor David, I have to ask, what kind of challenges did you come across when you were doing enduring word?
1: Well, you know, it's the work. It it reflects my work over the last 35 years. So I, I guess persistence was a big part of it. Just through some unusual circumstances, I found out that what I prepared for myself as Bible teaching notes, just in my verse by verse exposition through books of the Bible, I found out that those teaching notes were helpful for other people as Bible commentary. And when I found that out, you know, I was interested in developing it and continuing to put it out there. But it took a lot of persistence, uh, to be honest, to to get something that I was at least happy with on the entire Bible. And then now I'm in the process of going back over my older content and improving it, I hope, and, and uh, just developing it along the way.
0: Well, thank you, Pastor David, for taking time to be on the podcast here today.
1: <laughs> happy to do it. I love talking with people about the Bible.
0: Oh yeah, me too. All right, so we're gonna actually talk about Leviticus chapter 11 today. And we'll start with one all the way through 25. I'm not gonna read it, I usually do. I'm not gonna read it today because it's kind of long. But we're gonna discuss some of these clean and unclean foods here in Leviticus chapter 11. And so Pastor David, you know, what stands out to you the most about Leviticus 11, one through 25?
1: Well, the first thing I see, Jen, that... my attention gets called to is that this is like a transition point in the book of Leviticus. We want to remind ourselves that Leviticus contains the laws and instructions given to Israel while they were at Mount Sinai. For some reason, we often get it mixed up in our head, but Israel came to Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. They stay there for the remainder of the book of Exodus. They stay at Mount Sinai for the entire book of Leviticus. And it's not until chapter you know, 11 or 12 of Numbers that they move on from Mount Sinai. So here at Mount Sinai, they're receiving the law from God, and Leviticus mostly has to do with sacrifices and priestly instructions. What's fascinating is the first 10 chapters of Leviticus, all that we've read before up to this point, all has to do with sacrifices and priests. Now we get to a new section in the book of Leviticus, where God's giving instructions first dealing with what is clean and unclean. And the first thing that he talks about here has to do with food, animals that can be eaten or not eaten.
0: And we talked all about the different sacrifices and what each one means and all that stuff. And yeah, I mean, it's very true. Most of that stuff was, was directed to the priests. And we just finished the whole thing with um, Nadab and Abihu and uh, you know their sin that they ju- they committed with the strange fire. So yeah, all that stuff was directed towards the priests, talking about how the priests are also guilty and sinful, just as the ordinary person is.
1: Sure, there's no perfect priest until Jesus comes and is our perfect high priest.
0: Yes, and so now we're talking about the food laws and yeah, everything that is going on there,
1: which apply to all of Israel, not just the priests. And I mean, just as it says there in verse two these are the animals which you may eat. So God gave very specific instruction to Israel. Some animals you could eat and some animals you were not allowed to eat. They were forbidden for Israel to eat. One thing I find interesting is this distinction between clean and unclean animals. That distinction goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. In Genesis chapter seven, verse two, God instructed Noah to take seven pairs of the clean animals, um, but only two, one pair, uh, not not seven pairs, seven individuals. So um, I guess it would be seven pairs, but then uh, only two of the unclean animals into the ark. So there was a distinction between clean and unclean that was known, but it probably only had to do with sacrifice. Some animals were fit to be sacrificed to the Lord. Some animals were not. But now here in Leviticus chapter 11, uh, the principles of clean and unclean are applied to what can and can't be eaten by the people of God.
0: So what do you think? Why are some animals considered clean and some are considered unclean?
1: Well, Jen, let's be honest with the text here. We're not specifically told. We're not told. Now, I I can give you three um, ideas that I think are probably true. I think each one of these are true. I think they provide some explanation, but we do got to be really honest with the text that we are not specifically told. God doesn't say this is why I declare these animals clean and unclean. But here's three reasons why I can think God made this this distinction. Um, Number one, these dietary laws gave Israel an opportunity to demonstrate their obedience to God. I mean, God wanted to make Israel a holy nation separate from the other nations, and and he wanted them to be obedient first to him and not just obedient to their appetites. You, You know, if you think about it, the first law God gave to humanity had to do with what could and could not be eaten. Isn't that what God told Adam in the Garden of Eden? So, God gave that law to Adam as a test of his obedience. And there's a sense in which God gives these laws to Israel simply as a way for them to demonstrate holiness and to display their obedience. So, that's one. Number two, I would say that these dietary laws separated the Israelites from their Gentile pagan neighbors. This would limit the true or deep fellowship and connection that any obedient Israelite could have with the surrounding peoples who didn't worship or who didn't obey Yahweh. You know, they would go uh, to a Gentile place or a Gentile home, and if they're eating foods, they they couldn't participate. So it was a way of declaring Israel to be a holy nation separated to God. And then a third reason I think we can surmise is that these dietary laws help to protect the health of the Jewish people. Um, a, a lot of diseases and problems were prevented by obedience to these dietary laws. So a, again, I we're not given a specific reason in the text, but I think that we can gather at least those three reasons why God had a purpose for these dietary laws.
0: Exactly, and you know it, it's interesting because when we talked about um, when we talked about the fats, how you, the fat was only supposed to be given to God. I went into a whole podcast episode about why animal fat is actually kind of bad for us. (laughs) So it's actually, it's actually really true. Like these laws, I think that God gives his people here in the old Testament, you know, they were to protect the health of the people, even though to this day, we're still kind of trying to figure out what's healthy to eat and what's not like the whole fat thing that was only really discovered like a few years back about how animal fats are really not fantastic for us, and they lower lifespan and all sorts of stuff.
1: (laughs) Well, sure. And these things would have had even more relevance uh, in the time of ancient Israel, when there wasn't the same recourse to refrigeration, proper handling and processing of food. I mean, let's face it, in the time of ancient Israel, eating pork was a much more dangerous proposition than it is today. Uh, And so, sure, I I think that there is health benefit today uh, to some or many of these laws, but even more so in the times of ancient Israel.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Sometimes even I forget, like, they didn't have the same kind of stuff that we have nowadays.
1: (laughs) Well, not at all. You know, it's it's, it's really a, a dramatic difference.
0: Right, right. And so do you think that that's kind of why Jesus... When he came to earth, when he declared the foods clean, I don't remember what verse that was. Was that in Matthew? I think that was.
1: Well, let me, Jesus didn't declare foods clean. Let's be clear. Jesus obeyed the law of Moses. So he kept a completely kosher diet himself. Now, what God revealed through the apostles in the book of Acts, especially through Peter, was that uh, these dietary restrictions that especially were effective in dividing Jew and Gentile, God, uh, first of all, used those as a picture to say that we shouldn't regard Gentiles as being unclean, but they also had relevance to the laws themselves. That's the vision that Peter had at Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa, as it's recorded in the book of Acts. Hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. And so I think there is a verse, but I, I believe it's translated differently depending on the versions you're looking at. And I think in the NLT it does say, thus Jesus declared all foods clean. So I'm kind of curious if you could like go into that a little bit more. Do you think that the NLT version was just wrong in translating it that way? Or do you think that um, you know, this was like the start of a new era and like I don't know exactly. Well, it was. I think
1: Jesus was foreshadowing Uh, what would come in through the new covenant, Uh, maybe the new living translation, which I like as a translation, maybe it's overreaching a little bit, but that passage you're talking about with Jesus, he's pointing out that what goes into a man is not fundamentally what makes him unclean, but it's what comes out of a man. And what Jesus was very directly confronting in his day was the religious hypocrisy. And I don't know what the best word is, um, the, the way that the religious leaders of Jesus' day would cover over the law of God and put the stress, the emphasis on the wrong kind of things. So there were many religious leaders in Jesus' day that were absolutely obsessed with minute aspects of the Mosaic law, all the while, while well, they completely ignored or contradicted huge, greater principles of the Mosaic Law. This especially had to do, and I think this is what Jesus was getting at in that passage, with the principles of the ceremonial washing of hands. Uh, the, the Jewish people and many of the Jewish leaders of that day had such an exalted vision. There's a story of a uh, rabbi of that general era who actually died of dehydration because the little water he received when he was in prison he used for ceremonial cleansing instead of drinking. And this man was held up to be a hero. And Jesus is saying, no, you, you've got your priorities all wrong. The, these ceremonial laws have their place, and Jesus himself was obedient to them, at least as they were declared in the scriptures, not necessarily according to the rabbinic traditions. But Jesus said, there is a sense of priority in the law of God that we need to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, and you know, that reminds me of the verse that Jesus said when he was almost like, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, when he's talking about how they were straining out the gnats to swallow a camel, which both those things, obviously, in the Old Testament law were considered unclean. But they would like strain out the water for gnats and just go over the top with it. But yet they were in their hearts. They were still unclean.
1: Exactly. And this is something that confronts us today as people who want to honor God and, and follow Jesus we, we need a, a proper sense of proportion to things, um, because th- there are things that may be legitimate issues, but they're just smaller issues. And and God would have us focus on th- things in proper proportion. Th- this has helped w- when we have good Bible teaching that rightly divides the word of truth. And I think one aspect of that right dividing is putting emphasis in proper proportion of things.
0: Right. So, going back to Leviticus 11, it mentions a handful of foods that are considered clean and unclean. And everything that is both, in my version, the W E B says cloven footed and choose the cud. Yes. That would be considered clean. But anything that is just cloven footed, for example, it says the pig that is not considered clean, and then the hare or a bunny. Those are not considered clean because they don't have any hoof, but they do chew the cud. So basically anything that chews the cud and has a hoof is considered clean. So that would be like goats and sheep and those kinds of animals.
1: That's correct. It, it has to divide the hoof and it needs to chew the cud. For example, a horse has a single hoof, um, oh, right. Uh, but not a goat, for example, that has a divided hoof.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out as well. Um, And then going forward from there, it talks about the fish. It says that anything, (laughs) anything like a little shrimp and lobsters.
1: Kosher diet (laughs) prohibits shrimp and lobster, which makes me so happy that I'm not under the Mosaic law (laughs) because I find those things to be delicious.
0: Yes. Yes. And for Valentine's day, I did make a lobster. (laughs) Yeah, so um, so yeah, I I also enjoy a good uh lobster tail here and there. But basically, God says that whatever has fins and scales in the waters, that is okay for the people to eat. But anything that crawls along, not so good. Right.
1: And, and do you see something here, Jen? How I don't know how kind God is to give just very understandable regulations. Anybody can look at an animal and say okay, what's its hoof like, and uh, does it chew the cud? Anybody can look at a sea creature and say, does it have fins? Does it have scales? You know, these are very, these, for the most part, there may be some exceptions, but for the most part, these aren't difficult to decipher.
0: Right, right. And, yeah, and I agree with that. I think God was very nice when he gave these laws, because for example, one thing I noticed, if you move forward in verse 13, it says that you shall detest these among the birds. And he mentions a bat.
1: <laughs> yes. How about that? <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Which yeah. a bat we know nowadays is not a bird, but back in those days, the people would have thought that a bat was a bird because it has wings. Sure, it has
1: wings it flies, you know, they would have thought of it as, as a bird. But again, uh, he makes it very clear.
0: Exactly. He's making it very clear that a bat is something you shouldn't be eating. And we know nowadays that that is very true.
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> Not healthy to trouble eat. trouble
1: because of bats or yes. at least some people think it's related to bats for sure.
0: And so God goes into the different birds you can't eat, but there definitely were clean birds you could eat. I mean, I think yes. chicken was one of them. And, but it doesn't say specifically here which birds were clean. It only mentions the ones that are unclean.
1: Yeah. Now, this is a little bit different Uh, for mammals and for sea creatures there were given like criteria, you know, the hoof and chewing the cud or the fins and scales for the birds. There's not given a criteria. Uh, Again, it's just specific birds are mentioned as being unclean and apparently other birds were okay.
0: Oh, okay, Perfect. Thank you for that. Moving forward into verses 20 to 23. This is my most this is the most interesting part to me. The all flying insects that walk on four legs are an abomination to you. So in other words, the insects, everything except for grasshoppers and basically anything that hops on the earth with the jointed legs. So that's like a grasshopper. That's like a a cricket. Katie did. And to me, those are things that this was like almost protection for the people, because you know, one thing we saw when we looked at. Egypt was all those locusts came in and just ate everything right but the people because if that happened to the Israelite people and like a plague of locusts came in and ate all their crops the people would have food because they'd be able to grab those locusts and eat them and so to me that's almost like protection for the people that if something does go wrong with their crops they get eaten they can eat those insects that eat the crops that's what stood out to me about that portion
1: well, and you know, in a time where your crops were lost and maybe that was the only source of protein you would have, you'd be very grateful for that kind of provision.
0: Exactly. And I don't know if any of my listeners have ever eaten a uh, grasshopper, <laughs> but I have, I have, I have. yes. And actually there's a candy shop down the street from me that sell little like salt and vinegar crickets.
1: <laughs> They're not coated in chocolate or anything.
0: <laughs> I think they do have coated in chocolate ones too. But yeah, they've got some interesting insects in it. Like they sell all sorts of. Have have you
1: eaten any of those crickets at your local shop?
0: You know, I haven't at the local shop, but when I was a kid, I did in fact enjoy the chocolate covered crickets.
1: I did enjoy them.
0: They just taste interesting. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's a clean animal or a clean insect. You could technically go and eat those. And the people back in these days, they'd be fine if they. Ate those, and that was their only source of provision back in those days.
1: Yeah, sure. Things like uh, ants or grubs or things like that were forbidden. Uh, but those which had a a leg that was jointed above its foot those uh, those were permitted.
0: Right. Right. So then the last two verses say, by these, you will become unclean. Whoever touches their carcass shall be unclean until the evening. And whoever carries any part of their carcass shall wash his clothes and be unclean until the evening. So Pastor David, could you shine some light onto that a little bit?
1: Well, this is remarkable because unclean animals, when they were dead, they couldn't just be left in the community to rot. They had to be disposed of. Now, the people who disposed of those unclean animals, they became unclean and they had to have a washing and a brief quarantine, just brief until evening. And think about how this would work very practically, Jen. If a dead rat was found in an Israelite village, it would be carefully and promptly disposed of. And then the person who dealt with it would have to wash afterwards. Now, that that would help prevent disease in a very significant way. We know from history that when the bubonic plague, that is the Black Death, killed about one quarter of Europe's population in the uh, 14th century and beyond, many Jewish communities were largely spared because they followed these hygienic laws. Now, it's very sad. Because these Jewish communities were often spared the very high death count, uh, they were many times accused and punished for as if they had caused the plague. Th- those were some sad chapters in the history of Christianity. But it is interesting that these laws really helped preserve the people of Israel, the Jewish people, uh, because of the, just the good hygiene and sanitation that they provided.
0: Yeah, because if you go forward in this, chapter a little bit it actually talks about what you're supposed to do if an animal like goes into your well like and dies in there you're supposed to like fully just get rid of it yeah and same with like cooking utensils in fact god says like if an animal falls in like your pot you're supposed to actually break the pot so you're absolutely right like this would have preserved the health of the people like this was way beyond its time period way beyond
1: Well, and you can see the compassion of God in doing this, but also you you see a bigger messianic purpose. Listen, this Jewish people had to survive as a people, had to thrive in order to uh, play their role in God's unfolding plan of the ages. And that included, uh, most pointedly, bringing forth the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But I'm among those who believe that the Jewish people still have a role in God's unfolding plan of the ages. But, but obviously the, the huge marking point was bringing forth the Messiah back uh, in the days of Jesus.
0: Right. So one last question for you, Pastor David. What can we take away from Leviticus 11 nowadays?
1: Well, I would emphasize that under the new covenant established by Jesus Christ, we are not under the Mosaic law. So we, as being not under the law, we have the complete liberty to eat pork, lobster, shrimp. However, however, if a person feels convicted in their conscience to keep a kosher diet, they have perfect freedom in Christ to do that if they want. I I mean, sometimes I meet people who who want to do that. And if that's their conviction, if that's what they they should feel uh, completely empowered to follow their conscience to do so. We, we have freedom in Jesus to keep a kosher diet or to not keep a kosher diet. It, it's no longer the basis of our standing before God. So that's one aspect I would say. The other aspect I would say is that we, we can come back to this idea that God will allow us to be tested in regard to what we eat. He tested Adam and Eve in regard to what they ate. He tested Israel in regard to what they eat. Um, It's good for us to just listen to the Holy Spirit for our life. And there may be things that some of your listeners, uh, Jen, that God speaks to them and and kind of convicts their conscience. uh, You should eat this and not that. And they should take those things seriously from God. Maybe it won't be forever uh, in their life before God. But we shouldn't be surprised if God tests us, so to speak, in regard to what we eat or don't eat. We we see that principle in the scriptures. And then otherwise, we just see God's great wisdom. Uh, in giving these laws for Israel. They really helped Israel. They helped keep Israel separate from the other nations, which was a good thing. They promoted holiness in Israel, which is a good thing. And they were a significant protection of the health of Israel. We serve a good God who cares for his people.
0: Thank you so much, Pastor David. That was an excellent way to end that. I thought that was great. And that convicted me and spoke to me as well, that um, last portion that you said. So thank you so much. I'm actually going to drop a link to all your stuff in the bio of this podcast episode. So anybody who's listening and wants to know more about Pastor David, about enduring word or anything that Pastor David does, click on that link and it'll take you over to his website and you can see everything he does from there. So thank you so much, Pastor David, for coming on the podcast today.
1: Thank you, Jen. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
0: And everybody, you know what I say at the end of every single podcast episode to have a wonderful rest of your day and happy listening, and God bless.